everyone. Hi. Welcome back to Wait, Don't Kill Me. We never I said did, the I title. promise I didn't forget the name. Yeah, we never <laughs> said it. I swear I didn't forget the name. <laughs> so I'm Sarah. And I'm Tara, in case you guys forgot. Yeah, I know. It's, I've it's been, been told a week. That we- I was worried that our voices, so we've. I've been told that our voices sound the same, especially oh on God. the phone. I will, I will say that people in my life have told me uh, recently while listening to the podcast that we do sound we different. S- yeah. And uh, the, uh, everyone, my, my little sister Maya was like, oh, Tara's accent is really nice. I was like, what about Thank my you, accent? <laughs> and she, she had the nerve to be like, oh, you sound like a basic white girl. And I was like, oh, rude. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I no, mean, I just think a little first- bit. <laughs> At first, we do like if you listen to like a few seconds of our voice, we do sound alike. But then, if you really listen, our accents and everything is completely different. Although I've picked up so many, I don't know. Sometimes at first, people think I sound American. I'm like, no, I do not. But it's because I picked up a few words from you, and then I pick up British words from Mark, and then it's just everywhere, you know. I think in real life, I don't sound necessarily like this. I think my reading it's voice is more <laughs> it's super fake. I think my reading voice sounds more American yeah. than the way I actually talk. So mm. like when I'm back in the States, I swear, everywhere I go, people are like, Oh, so where, where are you are from? You from? I'm like, yeah. Uh I guess here. I don't know. What do you want me to say? But yeah, I mean, I guess I don't really belong anywhere. To we tell don't you belong the truth. anywhere. Yeah, no one wants to ask us to be a part of their culture, so it's fine. We'll make our own. We'll make our This is actually a cult invitation. Welcome. Welcome board. We'll send pins. We'll all wear matching pins. Um, Nike. Wait, was it Nike? Oh, yeah, Nike. Nike shoes on discount. Nike Air Force. Oh, wow. Air Force. Okay, I don't think those are on discount, but sure. No, we cannot. (laughs) Yeah, so I just we just wanted to say like sorry for not uploading. I had a few people be like, uh, "Excuse me, Miss, where is this week's episode?" Oops. But <laughs> but it's just we you know things come up. People mm-hmm. we were busy this week, so sorry we have real jobs and uh, work lives. outside of this. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't say lives, but <laughs> obviously we don't want to put out stuff that isn't great and rushed and put more yeah like well time. researched exactly yeah so. i don't want to just you know sit down and just read, read wikipedia no yeah exactly we want to sit down and probably research and find other articles and like fact check things and everything so i'm not saying it's hard work but it's a lot of like reading <laughs> yeah <laughs> or watching documentaries it's a oh lot of like fact checking because people can just write whatever they want i've Mm -hmm. so many articles like have so many different stories about the same story and you're like excuse me even like sometimes they get the dates wrong and the age wrong and i'm like that's not even that's not right yeah exactly Um, okay so i guess i should start for this week yeah it's your turn so my case is a very very popular case and a few people had asked me to cover it and initially, I thought there was a lot more to it. So I was really surprised how sort of short it is. It's a case that happened in Malaysia. Super popular. Um, they even made a movie about it. Uh, it's called... I don't know what the movie's called. Oh, yes. Daniel was just talking about this movie. It was mm-hmm. banned in Malaysia. It was supposed to come out to the 18. It starts with a J. Oh, I don't know what it's called. I forgot. Um, so my case is about Monda Fendi. 
Uh, her real name is Maznah Ismail, and she was born on the 1st of January 1956 in Kanga, Perlis. I had no idea that her name was not Mona Fendi. Me too! <laughs> I thought her name... Actually, no, I kind of knew that was her glamour name, but um, I thought at least her first name was Mon- Monda. It's Mona, not Monda, sorry. My bad. Yeah, um, it's Mona. Which oh. is not a common name here, is it? No. No, I've never heard it's a very, It's a very common Egyptian name. Like, I think I have, mm. like, three or four Monas in my family. Oh, yeah, it is a very yeah. common Egyptian name. Anyways, so, yeah, she was born in Perlis. Um, so she's always dreamed to be a pop star. She was a water ballet dancer when she was really young. So Bona met a guy who was claimed to be her biggest fan. His name was Muhammad Noor Afandi Abdul Rahman. And he promised to help fund her to become the Malaysia's biggest pop star ever because, you know, she wanted... That's what that's what her dream was. So to increase her popularity, she gave a say, herself the nickname Mona Fendi, which was inspired by her husband's nickname because her husband's name was Nora Fendi. How cute! Can you imagine if <laughs> if I name myself I don't want Tara, to imagine. Mark, or his middle name Tara William? Ew. <laughs> so they produced an album called Diana, and she managed to book a few shows on TV, uh, like TV shows. I guess those talk shows and appearances and but after a few years they realized that her pop star career was not taking it off they decide that she should get into witchcraft which is like black magic sorry <laughs> oh, you know it's not working like... witchcraft it is <laughs> um so witchcraft in Malay is called bomo isn't that what is it oh okay yes yes yeah correct correct okay uh which is I mean pretty I well... don't know is that witchcraft or is that like the pronoun for like a person that practices witchcraft yeah it's a person who practices it so she would be called as a bomo so yeah uh which is pretty well known in southeast asia um i mean personally i don't know if i believe in it um i don't like i think it's stupid that people throw in religion to number one justify it number two like make it sound like it's real because oh i threw in religion into it and like oh that's why it's okay for me to do it i i don't know Anyways, um, as she made her career change, she f- started offering services to high-profile clients, such as like politicians and things like that. And she claimed several of her clients were senior politicians, and they were willing to pay a lot of money and give her privileges in exchange for the service that both Mona and her husband were offering. It's not just her, so they were bo- both Bomo. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they- it was both of them. How sweet. He was just like, oh, I'm going to help you be a pop star. You're not going to be a pop star? You want to be a witchcraft black magic lady? <laughs> I'll help you do that as well. That's- oh, my that- God. oh, my God. There's He's a- there's so a really- supportive. Yeah, there's a picture of um them that went that I saw someone uploaded on Twitter or something like that, and they were like, this could be us, but you know that, that thing that, that someone's like, this oh, yeah, could be yeah. us, but you're playing or whatever. And it's like this picture of them in um the police when they were like arrested or something, and they were literally holding hands, sitting next to each other, looking <laughs> into each other's eyes. It's so romantic. I'll, I'll post it up on Instagram, but it's obviously they are not cute people, but I'm just saying, it's just funny. Um, they were clearly in love. So their witchcraft business was doing really good. They made a lot of money. They were able to buy mansions and expensive cars. And yeah, their Bomo business was booming. Literally. <laughs> that was such a bad joke. I want to cut that out. 
<laughs> no, so keep it. I love it. <laughs> in 1993, Mona Fendi and her husband were approached by Mazlan Idris, who was Pahang's assemblyman, a rising politician. So Mazlan, he was eyeing the chief minister post and he wanted uh, to use Mona Fendi's witchcraft powers to get him the position. So Mona promised to help him by giving him a ta- talisman, which is kind of like a lucky charm. And it included a tongkat, which is a stick, and songko, which is, I guess you could call it like a traditional hat that Indonesians and Malaysians wear. So this songko was owned by a former Indonesian president, Sukarno. And so the talisman was supposed to make Mazan invincible and too powerful to defeat. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wish I had magic. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's literally black magic, right? So. <laughs> yeah. My bad. So for the service, Muslan agreed to pay Mona and her husband two point five million ringgit, and he reported wow. to pay. Excuse yeah. me. Why does this assemblyman have that much like cash lying around? Mm-hmm. And there must mm-hmm. be a reason okay. why he wants this position so much. He might be able to mm-hmm. get that cash back. Um, Interesting. (laughs) Corruption. (laughs) Our podcast gets closed next week. (laughs) Reporting. Defamation. Oh my god, um, joking. Joking, joking, joking. He reported to pay 500,000 uh, 500, ringgit up front and then 10 land titles to guarantee the remaining payments. After receiving the payment, Mona arranged Muslan to visit home at uh, Raub Pahang for a black magic cleansing ritual. So Mona and her husband had an assistant. His name was Jeremy Hassan. And Jeremy was reported to be 31 years old at that time. On July 18, 1993, Muslan came to the house and they had him lie down on the floor. His eyes were closed and he had to wait for, quotation, wait for the money to fall from the sky. Which I'm not exactly sure what that means. But uh, Mona... (laughs) <laughs> Mona placed bodies on his flowers while his eyes were closed. While his eyes were closed, Jeremy chopped off Mazan's head with an axe, just out of nowhere, just chopped his head off. Okay. Um, but the ritual wasn't over. So the couple, Mona and her husband and Jeremy, disembodied the body and partially skinned Muslan. And they cut his body into 18 pieces, uh, which was reported uh! to... Yeah which was reported to be buried 1.8 meters deep in a storeroom near Mona's house. By the way, I've seen her house. It's in Shalom. No, but I I think that's one of her houses. This one happened in Pahang. Oh, okay, okay. But it's like, we drove past it, but like it's all boarded up and like there's a huge gate. I mean, I'm sure it is, but it's like all boarded up. Like no one lives there. It's abandoned. It's not that weird, right? I don't think anyone, people are very superstitious superstitious yeah, 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 yeah. here very very like very, i don't very, think very anyone would want to move in <laughs> um the murder was reported to occur between 10 p.m to midnight and some of the body parts weren't found and rumors were that uh they had eaten um his body parts but i'm not sure about that Ew. who knows after the murder, they went on about their life as usual and Mona bought brand new Mercedes, she went shopping and even got herself a nice facelift. Oh, nice. <laughs> on the 2nd of July, 1993, a police report was made of Mazan's disappearance um, after he withdrew the 300,000 ringgit and he missed several politician um, functions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that I mean, that is very suspicious. <laughs> mm-hmm. He was part of the UMNO party, by the way. If I haven't mentioned that, that that's the party that he was part of. 
Um, I think that's also why it blew up so much because he was in such a... Yeah, he was a very prominent man. Mm -hmm. However, there was no lead to his disappearance. But then their assistant, Jeremy, kind of screwed them over accidentally. Um, he was picked up by the police over an unrelated drug offense. And he was reported to be high on drugs at the time. And he confessed to the police that he was involved in the murder of Muslin. And that led the police officers to the storeroom where the body parts were buried. And the storeroom was sealed with a concrete cap. So oh, on wow. the twenty, 20- he ratted them out. Yeah, but I don't think like he intentionally. I think he was just high, and I don't know, probably um, traumatized himself. But just you know, just getting high just to get rid of. <laughs> true, true, true. Yeah, yeah. He was quite young as well. So, so on the twenty second of July, the body was found, and on the twenty third of July, Mona Fendi, her husband, and Jeremy were arrested, and they were charged and were trialed in the. Tamarola High Court by a seven-person jury. They were charged with murder under Section 302 of the Malaysian Penal Code, which comes with a mandatory death sentence. Obviously, there was a huge case um, that it, it spread everywhere, and it blew up even more because throughout the trial, Mona uh, was acting really strange she was yeah she just had really she was just behaving really really weirdly and she seemed to really enjoy the spotlight like she was smiling posing for the photographs she didn't want to hide her face um she showed up in court in flashy vibrant clothes and was always smiling to the camera um she even reported she was like like, oh it it looks like i have fans which i just think at the end of the day she was just a narcissist and that's what she wanted at the like you know she wanted to be a pop star and there was there's yeah, cases exactly. like this. this happens quite often where, you know, after they murder someone, they love it. They end up writing books and all these things and um, they just love the attention. Well, yeah, I mean, they just, yeah, it's the attention that they've always wanted. Like, mm-hmm. look at Charles Manson even. Exactly. Like, yeah. he wanted to be a musician and mm-hmm. he wanted to be well-known and famous. And, well, I mean, he is. He's super yeah. famous. Exactly. And they don't care if it's bad attention as long as it's, you know the spotlight then they'll just take it yeah exactly apparently mona became friends with her prison ward and the prison ward's name was sergeant aziza and she said in an interview that she recalls her conversation with mona and how she never had a dull moment with her and i guess people were just so surprised because um of the gruesome murder that she did uh yeah no i mean i think it's more so i rem- i did read that interview with that guard of hers Mm-hmm. I think it was more so she was trying to humanize her because the way the media like mm-hmm. painted her. Obviously, what she did was awful and gruesome and yeah. terrifying, but they really ran with it. And yeah. I read like all those stories about her, like in court, how mm-hmm. she like I don't know was like she seemed like a witch and she would do things oh, yeah. in her cell exactly. and things like mm-hmm. that. And it's like I mean, obviously, it's all hearsay. Mm -hmm. And it's because she's super, like, scary, like, you know? Yeah, she does So people were really, like, reading into that. Oh, obviously, yeah. And people just love anything superstitious. Oh, my God, you can twist it and make it any story you want. Yeah, because it's not real. (laughs) Sorry. But it isn't, so people are able to, like, just make up shit. Mm -hmm. So after 65 days and 76 witnesses were interviewed, the verdict was delivered by the High Court and all three of them were sentenced to death by hanging. Uh, which is, you know, the death penalty by hanging is still in place in Malaysia, which is pretty insane. Yeah. Crazy to me. But um, <laughs> why are you laughing? Sorry, my cat is like 
giggling in the back. <laughs> so Mona reported to have uh, to have said, "I'm happy and thank you to all Malaysians in the court." <laughs> and <laughs> sorry, I don't know why I'm laughing. I just think that no, it's it's a funny statement. <laughs> yeah, it's just so random. I just think she's so delusional. She thinks like she has so many fans and like she's finally the star. Yeah, she's like, thank you all Malaysians who are my fans. In 1999, the three of them filed an appeal to the federal court but were rejected and then they tried to overturn the death sentence by obtaining pardon from the Pardons Board of Pahang but of course they refused and the date of the hanging was set from Friday 2nd November 2001 at Kajang Prison. So the day before the execution, Mona and No Fendi were allowed to meet their family members for the last time and they were given KFC for their last meal, which... <laughs> Side note, you know what? Um, when I used to go back to Malaysia um, when I was young, my family... I don't know why, it's just KFC, but I guess KFC in Malaysia tastes really good because even in the UK, the KFC here is so shit. And I tried to explain to Mark, like, you need to come to Malaysia and taste the KFC in Malaysia because it's so good and you have the cheesy wedges and you have the nuggets like even now so my passionate. brother <laughs> what so passionate, so passionate. no but my my colleagues like even from japan say that the kfc here is way better See? my my brother when he comes back to malaysia he this one time he was like can you buy me 40 nuggets and he wasn't joking and i, I bought him 40 nuggets he's just he's wait so what good. you bought 40 mm-hmm. nuggets mm-hmm, just for him he's and he you were embarrassed to say that number no why would i be embarrassed okay. i'm proud to be a That's... kfc lover <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> um. Anyway, so yeah, they ordered KFC, and um, you know, you know, one thing that I kind of respect and like, I try to find a few things about because apparently they have children, and I try to find mm-hmm. like information about them, but there's nothing. Like people aren't really writing about the children, which I think is really good I mean, because they probably like change their name and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the children shouldn't be pulled into things like yeah, this. Yeah, they shouldn't like, be they, involved. Yeah, and I just, I feel so sad for relatives and things like that who do get pulled into cases if, for example, their parents or any close family members because they are victims themselves, so it's just really sad. Yeah, exactly. I agree. Mm, at 5.59 a.m. on Friday, Mona, who was 45 years old at the time, and her husband, who was a year younger than her, younger than her and the assistant, were hanged in the gallows. And it was reported like the most creepy thing that happened was that Mona muttered "Aku taka mati," which means "I won't, I will never die, or I won't die" to herself because she, before she was hanged. And again, just I don't know if that's true, but that's what it was reported. Um, and the trial for the case had become so huge that it led the government to discontinue the trial by jury system because their trial was seven juries at the time and they mm-hmm. demolished that um, system and on the 1st of January 1995. Wait, so I have one question. Hmm. Do we know why they did it? The guy that they murdered hired them, correct? Correct, yeah. I, so I don't know why So he paid them. So why mm-hmm. would they murder him? Yeah, they got the money, they got the land. What's the most that he can do? I mean, maybe they were afraid that he would do something back to them or something like that. Do what back to them? Because he, like, again, the black magic thing isn't real. So she promised to give him the position. What if he doesn't get the position? What if he, like, ends up killing them or threatening them or whatever? But it's not really a guarantee, right? Do people go to Bomo's for a guarantee? Well, she promised it and then he gave so much money. So I guess, you know, you have to So maybe they were like a... 
afraid. Yeah, I think so. That wasn't going to come true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you don't know how powerful this guy is, so. Wow, they're pretty dumb, huh? Who? All of them? <laughs> well, yeah, essentially. <laughs> Everyone in the story is pretty fucking dumb. <laughs> I, I mean, know. okay, I understand why this story is so popular in Malaysia because there's, like, superstition involved and mm-hmm. it's, like, you know, she... But I just... I think it's w- blown way out of proportion. Oh, like, yeah, the hype 100%. for this story. Mm-hmm. Actually, I thought there was more murders. I thought it was just more than one. I thought she was bringing people back in her, like, um, black magic house. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what to call it, but, you know, her <laughs> ritual house. <laughs> and, like, um, you know, just killing murdering them and hiding them and then finally the politician was the last one but then turns out it's just not not that it's just one person but i just like i didn't realize that it was one person and then yeah i mean and she it's was awful a, and it's it's awful yeah. mm-hmm. oh my and god yeah like, skinning him skinning him after murdering him that's insane um yeah yeah, yeah. i agree but that's mm. not the part people are like hyped no about. people are hyped, people hyped about, about the fact the, that she's a witch yeah, that she's a bomo and everything. You did a good job. I think a lot of people were wanting you to do it from the very start. Yeah, I'm so, sorry. There it's you go. Quite Here's your story about Mona Fendi. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There's obviously a lot of rumors and, you know, people run with the story and stuff like that. But some of it is just, it's just really ridiculous. So, but the this is... A, That's the actual story, yeah. <laughs> Oh, and by the way, before I finish, um, Mona Fendi was the second woman to ever get the death penalty in Malaysia. The first woman was for a drug um, trafficking offense. So yeah, Mona Fendi was the uh, second woman. So I can I think that's another reason Ooh. why it was so huge, um, because she was. Oh yeah. Her. Okay. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, we forgot to mention our topic for this our week theme. is female serial killers. So my story is about the first two female serial killers to be put to death in Egypt. Um, it's two because they were sisters and their names were Raya and Sakina, which I mean is pretty freaking cool if you think about it, like being the first female serial killers to be put to death. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying the murder part is cool. I'm just saying that they were breaking boundaries, you know, mm-hmm. setting standards. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not for womankind, but boundaries nonetheless. <laughs> But, yeah. So um, now what's super interesting about these women is that there's such, there's like a huge amount of literature and art and movies that they inspired, which I mean, I think is really interesting. Mm. And there's this one super famous like comedy play in Egypt about the sisters and the title is Ryan Sakina, which I have seen before like i remember watching it as a kid because it's always on like er, like egyptian channels and things like that it's a very old um play Mm -hmm. that they filmed and you can see it i mean it's a comedy which is very interesting (laughs) but yeah so i mean like some og murderinos wrote a comedy about like female serial killers (laughs) wait so the would be that director's friend (laughs) So it's about, it is about the murders and stuff, but they put a comedy twist to it. Yeah. And it's kind of like you feel not like you're rooting for them, but, <laughs> but like they're very likable. <laughs> now these murderous sisters, they were born in a remote village in Upper Egypt. And unfortunately, information about their early years is super limited and mostly just like hearsay and rumors. Mm-hmm. So Raya was 
apparently born around 1875, and her sister was born like about 10 years later. Their father wasn't around, nothing is known about him, uh, but the sisters grew up with their mother and older brother. So the mother is said to have been highly egocentric woman who was unable to show any love to her children, mm. which is uh, real sad, but I mean, it could probably explain like the missing yeah. nurture that they had as a kid. Mm -hmm. So the sisters worked on and off in cafes and selling vegetables like all their life. And they also to were rumored to sometimes join their mother in robberies. So their huh? mother wasn't Robbery. like, you know, yeah, robberies. Oh, okay. Yeah. That was just random. I mean, You're like, oh yeah, they used to work at cafes <laughs> and sell vegetables and sometimes help their mom rob. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the article said. So... <laughs> But yeah, um, yeah, I guess their mother wasn't the best person in the world, but yeah. Mm. Uh, Sakina, which is the younger sister, worked as a sex worker in different villages in Egypt. So before she took off with her lover to Alexandria in 1913. So the guy that she took off with was named Mohammed. So Alexandria is in northern Egypt. And so I'm half Egyptian and that's where I spent almost every summer growing up. Uh, it's really beautiful, so much fun. 10 out of 10 would highly recommend uh, <laughs> visiting Alexandria. You know, I really love it, you know, but there is like advert sexual harassment there. So if you ignore that, <laughs> everything else is everything really else great fine. in Egypt. <laughs> no, I swear, Egypt is beautiful, except the daily harassment that you get as a woman is awful. Mm. I don't know if I would ever be able to live there, but go visit if you... Yeah, if you have mm. the chance. Maybe not this year or possibly next year because there's a pandemic. But <laughs> maybe after that, 10 out of 10 recommend. <laughs> so back to the sister, which um, while Sakina was with her boothing and they moved to Alexand uh, Alexandria, Raya got married <laughs> with her new husband. Are you laughing because I said boothing? Yeah. <laughs> so Raya got married with her new husband, uh, Hezbollah. So he was the brother of her dead husband, which is weird. But so her brother-in-law, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, yes. That's what it is, <laughs> brother-in-law. That is the term. Correct. Um, so she also had a daughter, so they they lived together. So it was Raya, Hasbalah, and then their daughter. So Hasbalah was a thief and a hashish sm smuggler, which hashish is like a form of weed, but it's like, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. I've I, I don't know. I don't smoke it. So, but oh, it's okay. like what they have in Egypt instead of weed, they smoke mm -hmm. hashish. Is it illegal? Yeah. So, yeah, very. Okay. So, because he was a smuggler and he sold hashish, uh, they were constantly on the run from authorities in Upper Egypt. So, in 1916, they moved to Alexandria and the sisters were reunited. So, with the outbreak of World War One and the economy, like the economic crisis that struck Egypt's cotton industry, mm -hmm. um, which was like the country's main branch of employment. So both sisters and the partners worked in that cotton industry. So they were essentially out of a job. So they s opened up a like secret public house in one of their homes, which venues like that were widespread in Egypt's big cities. And it was just What's a, a secret public house? Yeah, so it's a place that people were able to just, like, drink and smoke hashish and, Oh, you know. okay, okay. Essentially, there were brothels as well, mm -hmm. but, yeah. So, yeah, so the sisters later insisted that the place prohibited sex work and immoral behavior, 
But I mean, obviously that wasn't true and people just look the other way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, in Egypt, neighbors are pretty noisy, not going to lie. So mm-hmm. I mean, even now they are, people care so much about what people think about them there. Like I can never understand why, but mm. it's a thing. Uh, so <laughs> so I don't know how they were able to like pretend that it wasn't a thing. I guess people were just like, oh yeah, we know about it, but we're going to pretend that it doesn't exist. You know, turn yeah. a blind eye, that type of thing. Yeah. So to avoid problems with the neighbors or other people who disapproved of these kind of establishments, the two couples joined first forces with a pair of local thugs for protections. So there's like two local like bad boys. Okay. Let's call them that. Mm-hmm. Who like a boy they were like, uh, they were like, I guess like more like bouncers. But okay, okay. Got it. Yeah, you know how as old much, they were essentially just like gangster. They they were like in their th- they were in their thirties slash forties. Oh okay. Yeah, by the time that they were setting up this brothel. Now they're not so secret. Secret brothel was very prosperous during the war, which you know makes sense because mm-hmm. during war and hardships, these kind of places usually thrive. Same like music and like the arts kind of thrive. In those kind of situations as well. Right after the war, things began to spiral downhill for them. And this was the like the peak just began of an uprising that was starting in Egypt in 1919, which called for the independence from the British and was marked by strikes and a like huge general curfew on the country. So mm. the couple's economic situation quickly deteriorated and they started to steal food. So Hasbalo was caught and imprisoned and then his wife was Raya was also incarcerated for six months. After Raya and Hasbalo got out of prison, the group decided that they need to find another way to make super quick money. And they came up with the idea of murdering women who wore gold jewelry, which then could be sold. Mm. Um you know, just a your just your average business plan. You know, they had a <laughs> brainstorming meeting. There was probably whiteboard markers involved, <laughs> and they were just like, "Here are the options. Let's do this one." Oh, one only one option. Let's do this one. <laughs> yeah. So I'm by the group by the gang. From now on, when I mean the gang, I mean Raya Sakina, Mohammed okay. Hasbala, and then there are two thugs. Okay. The gang, got which it. I didn't get their names, but mm-hmm. they're not important. Um, <laughs> they just so, helped with the murder. No big deal. Yeah, 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 no big deal. So at that time, Egyptian women didn't deposit their money in banks, but they invested it in gold jewelry that they wore. And essentially, Ryan Sakina would just prey on them. It's kind of like the information on the different victims is kind of scattered. Like through the different articles I've read, it's probably just because it was a long time ago and it was Egypt and, you know, they're even bad at documenting things now. So I can't imagine how yeah, <laughs> how good they were at documenting then. Mm-hmm. But it was ages so their ago first, as well. It was in the 1800s. I mean, they were born in 1875, but oh, this was okay. around 1910, uh, okay. 1920, sorry. Okay. So the... So their first victim was Hanim, which was Raya's neighbor, who had some new jewelry that she just bought. And I guess Raya got jealous of it and was like, let's have her as the first victim. Essentially, the gang made a perfect murdering squad. And each and every one of them had their own duty. Raya would go to the market, entice women wearing the most jewelry to visit their home, saying she had beautiful items for sale. And then at the home, the gang would give them, like, drug-laced drinks and 
once the victim became drunk and drugged, essentially, one of the men would stuff a wet cloth in her mouth and the other would suffocate her. The men would then remove the jewelry from the corpse and the sisters would take the loot to the goldsmith who apparently knew what was going on. Like, essentially, he would have to know what was going on, right? That these women just kept That's a bringing team. in gold jewelry. Yeah. Yeah. So the proceeds would be divided equally among the ring members. Wow. Is that? Very thought yeah. out. I'm so impressed. Yeah, I mean, they were very savvy. I told you they had a brainstorming mm. meeting. <laughs> Not like what Mona yeah. had. No, no, no. I don't know what her plan was. She was like, here, I'll promise you to do this. And then Got she was head. like... Yeah, exactly. In the course of a year from November 1919 to November 1920, several women began disappearing from Alexandria without a trace. So the gang would bury the bodies in the home of Ryan Sakina. And I mean, so I guess no one... Under the floorboards. Oh, okay, okay. Isn't that gross? Yeah, I know. But um, so the bodies were never found. So these women were just disappearing. And the police received so many complaints about missing persons. Oh, that's so scary. Um, So many bodies under the floor. Can you just... Yeah, I know. Nasty. So the first person that came to the report was filed by the mother of a 25-year-old Nazila Abu Alal. Abu... Wait, Abu Lail? Yeah, (laughs) probably. I'm only half Egyptian. Don't make fun of me. (laughs) Your ancestors are not happy. Oh, (laughs) You know, it's fine. Um, who is wearing... So this... The 25-year-old was wearing a gold wristlet, a silver, a silver anklet, gold earrings, and two gold rings when she went missing. After this, a man reported that his sister, Zembua, went to the market and he met Ryan and she never returned. Um, so another case was a young 15-year-old reported how her mother, who was a poultry woman um, who sold like poultry at the market, went missing. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just there's just so many cases. That's so sad. Of reports. Yeah, there was just, I mean, over 10 different reports oh to gosh. the police um, from, from people's family members. So a missing report came in continuously, like one after the another. And then a Sudanese woman reported her daughter for doubts missing in a mysterious circumstances. Um, she was wearing 60 pounds worth of jewelry. Gold bracelets costing 35 pounds, earrings, and a gold necklace. So police were successful in finding out Fredaus had, like, where she had gone before she went missing. And Sakina's name was mentioned, and she was brought in for interrogation. However, of course, she just denied all allegations. So someone essentially told, told the police, like, oh, we saw her going off with Sakina. Ryan Sakina, I guess their names kept coming up to the police, and they were questioned a number of times. Um, because people were just claiming that the victims had last been seen in their company. But the two always like outwitted the interrogators. And there was one time where the police came over and they were like, uh, what is this like strong burning incense? And then she's like, oh, we just we just burn incense to like because people come in here and they smoke and they drink. So we want to like get rid of the smell. But apparently it was so strong that someone had to question it. Wow. So... Yeah, so the mystery was solved only by chance. After Sakina had to leave the place where she was renting, her her landlord decided to install water pipes and began digging. So in anticipation of the arrival oh of plumbers, 
He soon was he soon was overwhelmed by a terrible stench from the ground, and his shovel encountered something <gasps> hard. He groped around the earth and realized he was holding human bones. Ah! Oh my yeah. god. So obviously he immediately called the police and they arrived to Sakina's new place. Um, and then they went to Raya's home, which stank of that same powerful incense that she was covering, which was essentially just to cover up the smell of corpse. That's you know? insane. Yeah. Oh my gosh. How could you live in a place full of dead bodies and... Uh, I'm just surprised they kept the bodies there. But where else would you put them? I guess they just didn't know. I mean, Alexandria is very dense. It's a very, like, it's a big city, but Mm. it's very, very populated. So the four of them were arrested and the investigation lasted for a few months. And then all the suspects, so Raya, Sakina, their husbands, they were all just like turning on one of another and accusing one another, committing the deeds, and like none of them were taking ownership. And in the end, it was Raya's daughter, Badia, who incriminated them all. <gasps> so she had often watched through a crack in the wall and knew what her parents were doing. What the And heck? they threatened her that if she opened her mouth, she would suffer the same fate as these victims. Oh she was 10 God. years old, by the way. What the f- yeah, so a year after the arrest, the court sentenced all the group to the death by hanging. On December 21st, 1921, a woman was executed for the first time in modern Egyptian history. In fact, not one, but two women. That is the case and story I feel of the bad for the little girl. duo. <laughs> oh, for... I mean, she's the hero of this story. She's the hero, but... Um, oh, my God. But, the, like, those few months or whatever of her parents bringing in women and killing them and just hiding them yeah i know and knowing that there's fucking dead bodies in your house oh my gosh i know know. so traumatizing so i also read this other article which i mean took a different take on this story so essentially these women were vilified obviously because they were freaking villains uh but they were people hate like hated them like there were women cheering and celebrating at the courthouse the day that these women were put to death. Mm. Like, But this article mentioned how these women were also... Like, during the same time, there was another man in Egypt who was, like, essentially a serial killer, but he would murder, like, rich people and he would steal their, you know, gold and money. Mm-hmm. And But he was deemed as, like, the Robin Hood of egypt these women were vilified mostly because they were women yeah they were women and and that's why i think they like took these stories of these vilified women and they created like so much literature and movies and plays about them to show like you know these women wouldn't necessarily have to had to turn to these things if they weren't like economically restrained and Mm -hmm. you know socially restrained in what they had to do of course i'm not saying what they had to do was right i'm just saying there are factors in life that put the people on these type of paths yeah i just thought it was quite interesting how like women that do the same type of deeds as men are they're portrayed completely differently yeah way more different in history and i was like oh yes that is a very valid point 
Not that I'm saying that man, if a man did this, he would also be really as awful as these women. I mm. do agree, yeah. but I don't think he would have been painted as badly as these women. I mean, clearly he wasn't. It, yeah. We have history of it. That's true. No, exactly. So, yeah. Like Mona Fendi, for example, her husband was her partner in crime, like literally partner in crime, did her assistant as He's well. He's the, the one, one that who... freaking axed the head off. Yeah, and but, why is oh, her name the one that... only knows her. Yeah, her name's painted everywhere. It's just her the villain, her the bomber when... Clearly, it was all three of them. And yeah, because I think it's something to do with like people don't like it when women like go off yeah. on their own and do these type of. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, if anything, Ryan and Sakina were pe- like victims of their own time and their own social economics. A lot of things they had to do. I mean, if their needs were met financially, it, it would have been different. Yeah. But- but, you know, if you're poor, please don't go out and murder people. They're always making money, <laughs> I promise. If you're poor, don't go out and murder people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow. They're, they're... What a great way to end this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I always have to give a message. So that was my message. Thank you very much. <laughs> please don't take offense to anything we say. We just talk out of our, out of our assholes. That's true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> But yeah, that was really good. I I enjoy talking about these cases. A lot of history to it. People are still talking to it until now. Um, a lot have has come from these cases. Yeah, I I like I like covering uh, cases that not necessarily everyone knows of, mm-hmm. um, especially like in Eastern cultures. Yeah. I know. I think it's there's so many stories that have been done over and over again. Yeah. So we want to try to bring fresh new information but also stories that we also enjoy so um again if you guys have any recommendations anything you want us to cover or even like something that you've heard of but you don't necessarily know much about yeah like, we'll do the work we'll, we'll do the do homework the for you we'll do the work for <laughs> you even though i have a lot of other work i should be doing but i enjoy doing this research and doing this work yeah and we'll try to be more consistent promise uh but you know sometimes life gets in the way and that's that there's nothing we can do about it sorry (laughs) (laughs) sorry (laughs) that's it yeah follow us on wait don't kill me to get updated when we do things you know stay safe lock your doors don't kill people if you're poor yeah just normal just normal (laughs) ps just normal psas (laughs) and yeah just don't trust anyone yeah really don't (laughs) goodbye bye bye